Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12. We are continuing our journey, hitting the high points of the book of Genesis. Um, And I think it's easy for us, now that we have the whole Bible, to kind of forget that these are the early stages of uh, people learning. How do you have a relationship with God? There are still people asking that question today, aren't there? How can a person have a relationship with God? Can I do enough that God will accept me? Do I have a relationship with God because my parents do? Am I at the right church to have a relationship with God? And the Bible doesn't point to any of those things. It actually says that a relationship with God comes by faith. And there's no person in the Bible that stands out more when you think about faith than Abraham. Romans chapter 4 talks about him as a man of faith. And so we started the journey in Genesis 12 last week as God made Abraham incredible promises that were part of God's unfolding story, but they were also part of Abraham's personal journey. And isn't it neat that even though God is working on a macro level in the world to do his work and build his kingdom and and save and rescue and change people, he's doing that one by one by one. Just like he called out to the two disciples, follow me. He's doing that in your life. And if you'll say, God, you lead me where you want to lead me. You open his word. You'll be faithful hearing from him. You will find him. Isn't it cool that God makes promise? If you seek me, you will find me. If you search with all your heart, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Say, God is far from me. God is not as far as you think. If you would humble yourself and bow before him and say, God, please help. Guess what he will do? He will. Genesis chapter 12, we looked at those promises, but then we kind of get into the rest of Abraham's life and look what's happening. Verse 7 Say, what's Abraham up to? We get about 10 stories from the life of Abraham. So imagine if we reduced your life to 10 stories. Just quick snapshots. Verse 7. I thought this was interesting. We didn't get here last week, but I thought this was interesting. Um, So Abraham has moved across the world by faith. Verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. He reiterates his promise. So Abraham built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Verse 9, and Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. What happened in Abraham's life in these upcoming chapters really starts right here. Abraham was wandering. It's kind of one place to the next place to the next place. He was worshiping. Did you see that? He was continuing to uh, make God the center of his life and honor him. And he was waiting. He's waiting for God to keep the promises he had made. Isn't that our lives? We're wandering. Anybody feel like a wanderer a little bit? Right? Yeah, I've been there and there and there. Even if you've been in one place for a long time, there's still an element of wandering in the Christian life, isn't there? This world is not our home where... Just a passing through. So I really want to like carve out the good life for myself. You should quit that. Now you should work hard, save your money, enjoy vacations, love your family, it, like plug into the place you're in and be all there and have a great time. But don't make it about this life. We're just wanderers. With God on the throne, we're worshiping. And then we're waiting. And like Abraham was waiting for the promises that had been made to him to be fulfilled, we're waiting too, aren't we? I hope you are. If you're like, waiting for what? We should talk. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're waiting for everything to be made new. We're waiting for those prayers that we've made to be answered. 
We're waiting for those promises we've claimed to come, come to pass. We're waiting for all those seeds we've planted to bear fruit. You say, tomorrow. Probably not. Keep waiting. Don't quit. But then if you flip through these chapters, you'll realize that Abraham wasn't just wandering, worshiping, and waiting. He was working through life and its problems. Sound familiar? I mean, if you were just to flip through here, you're like, Abraham and Sarah had to go to Egypt? What happened there? Look at verse 13, or chapter 13. Abraham and Lot had to split up. Their, their uh, flocks and herds got too big. They were fighting. They had to make a change. Lot got himself in trouble. Chapter 14, Abraham had to rescue him. God made promises again. Chapter 15, Abraham went off track trying to fulfill God's promises his way. Genesis 16, God renews his promises to Abraham with some more things for Abraham to do. Abra Isaac's birth is promised again. Sarah laughs, right? She's like, for real? It's been 20 plus years. Abraham has to rescue Lot. God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And we finally come to chapter 21. Look at chapter 21. So Abraham has problems, family problems, personal problems. He lies about his wife twice. He tries to fix and provide for God's promises himself. But all the while, he's holding on to what God has said. And then chapter 21. Look at Genesis chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Of course he did, because what? God always keeps his promises. Always. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. She's nearly 100 years old now. 20 plus years after the promise. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. One of the promises that God had reiterated just recently was, next year you'll have a son at the exact time. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, like God had told him earlier, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. I love watching grandparents with grandkids. Isn't there just this infectious joy of grandparents? That, that laughter. And Sarah's actually the parent. She's like, this is laughable. This is amazing. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, that, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Who would have said that? God would have said that. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And here they are, and all of life has come together. The promises have been kept. There's got to be this great sense of relief and joy and expectation. Turn to chapter 22. Here's where we are today. Verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And even if this story is very familiar to you, I would just ask you today to pause and hear 
Because those are words that cut deep, aren't they? And yet God never leads us on accident. He tests us on purpose for our growth and for his glory. Would you pray with me? God, would you take your word this morning as only you can? I, I can prepare and work and craft things and try to say just the right things, but, but all of my efforts are futile unless you work. Except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain if we build it. Would your spirit move among us? Would he touch each heart? Some who don't even have faith yet. Some who are struggling in their faith. Some who are mature in their faith, but it's still hard. God, would you, would you challenge us and encourage us and help us through your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I was greatly encouraged this week um, by a couple sermons on this passage by Alistair Begg. If you've never heard of Alistair Begg, he's a pastor in the Cleveland area, and he just has a great skill with God's word. And he actually preached two sermons on this chapter uh, about 40 years ago, 1984. And if you don't get much out of this one, there's some good ones. But he was talking about walking in faith And he says this, walking upon the path of faith involves us in facing challenges and in trusting promises. Even, don't miss this, when things seem too hard or when they seem too hopeless. Have you ever been at one of those spots in life where you're just asking God why? Where it doesn't make sense? It hurts too much? It just won't quit? I felt like it just won't quit week. You ever had one of those? It wasn't any massive thing. It was just all the things. You ever have a week with all the things? Right? About the middle of the week, I started feeling sick. Kind of powered through with some medicine and other things. I'm still obviously not 100% today. Thank you for the water bottle. Okay. God will work through that. Somewhere in between Thursday night and Friday morning, I lost my wallet. Still lost. I have searched high and low. And let me tell you, As a finance guy, losing your wallet, not awesome. Really, as any guy or lady, losing your wallet, not awesome. Daniel's been sick. Just all the things. Sometimes life hits us with really big things, doesn't it? And what we experience here is what I would call an unimaginable test of faith. Isn't it? I mean, there's some incredible stories of God bringing people to the edge of incredible difficulty and and stepping in like, like the Red Sea. And Jericho. You imagine marching around Jericho and be like, all right, I guess we're going to yell. I'll hope this works. <laughs> Can you imagine that some of those people didn't yell? I don't know about this. You read other stories like Gideon, 300 guys, incredible multitude. You're like, pitchers and whack, trumpets, good weaponry. And God just keeps showing up, doesn't he? But this one, this one is deep, isn't it? But the Bible makes no mistake here to let us know that this is absolutely from God. Sometimes when we're going through hard things, we're like, where did this come from? Can I tell you what we know? God rules over all things. Nothing happens outside of his control. So the default answer of why is this happening should be that God's hand is ultimately in it. Here's what we know, though. God has no part with sin, and he doesn't tempt anybody. They're getting tempted. That is not from God, right? If you're experiencing sin and its effects, 
That's not because God made somebody sin. We know that. But this test comes from God. It's very clear. God tested Abraham. It's a deeply personal test, isn't it? When Alistair Begg is talking about this, he talks about these phrases that God uses as like a a knife jabbed into the heart and turned. Can you hear that? Take your son, oh, your only son, Isaac, twist, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a literal call to sacrifice or kill his son. Now, Abraham would have been familiar with this practice as a practice of the unbelieving people of his day. That the ultimate sacrifice they could give to their gods was their child, child sacrifice. A horrific, awful, detestable practice. And so when the God he serves, the God of the Bible, tells him to do that, he has to think, what? It can't make any sense. But it's not just because of the nature of the practice. Look back at chapter 21. Look at verse, uh, it's just back one page. Verse uh, 12, God said to Abraham, don't be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. Here's the phrase, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God had said, this is the son I'm going to provide for and answer my promises in. It was clear as day. And now God says, kill him. It makes no sense. I've sat with this question, this command, quite a bit this week because we have an only son. Now, some of you with hordes of children, sons and daughters, Father Abraham had many sons. There you go. But we have one and only son. And we didn't have to wait as long as Abraham and Sarah. We're not quite 100 yet middle-aged, but we waited about 12 years before we had Tim. And so though I, I don't fully understand Abraham's, the weight of what's said here, I do, I do understand it. It's heavy. It's a test. It's a test so deep and so unimaginable that I can only imagine the, the, the thoughts that ran through Abraham's head. Can you? Do you know who's noticeably absent from this story? Entirely. All you wives should notice. Who's absent? Why? Do you think Abraham told her? I can honestly say, I don't know. (laughs) You ever been in that spot as a husband where you're like, I don't know if I tell her this or not. Or maybe I'll tell her when it's over. But I want to make an observation this morning. In times of testing, God isn't asking us to figure it out but instead to follow him through it. We are hurting ourselves and driving ourselves crazy when we try to know fully the mind of God. We know the end of this story, don't we? But I wonder in the moment you're in, if you're spending time lying awake at night like I'm so prone to do, trying to figure it out. Instead of just saying, God has brought me here. God has clearly told me what to do next. And I don't get it or get where it's going, but I trust him. Psalm 23 reminds us quite simply that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God walks with us.
So after the unimaginable test, there's an unquestioning response, and this is mind-blowing stuff, isn't it? Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And it wasn't around the corner. Look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. What faith. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. Notice that this is a timely response. When did Abraham get up? He got up early. What a, what a perfect day to not get up. To snooze, to snooze, to snooze, to snooze. And yet he gets up early, and we actually see this in another place, back in chapter 21, we won't look at it, that when Abraham is called to do something hard, he steps into it and gets it started. There's a wise piece of business advice out there that says you should take whatever the least desirable and hardest task of your day is and what? Do it first. I think most of us, you know, go kind of like, move that down, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> but he obeys. He gets up early. It's timely. It's an active response. He took, made preparations. He saddled his donkey, grabbed a couple people, grabbed Isaac, cut the wood for the burnt offering, and went. It's a group response. Abraham is certainly the one here following God, but he's not doing it alone. I want to come back to that in a second. And then it's an enduring response. He went for three days. Three days to think about it. Three days journey. This is not something Abraham could be done with quickly. Don't we often wish that our trials and testings would get done more quickly? Don't we wish that they were just easier? That would be like, boom, all right, good. Man, that was really hard for three and a half seconds. And don't they often continue and continue and continue? And we have to stick with it and stick with it and stick with it. And you can only imagine the thoughts and feelings going through Abraham's heart as he's step after step after step, day after day after day. He could see the place in the distance, an unquestioning response of faith. I do want you to notice, secondly here, that in times of testing, we don't experience these things solo. It's always a shared experience. Isn't this one of the neat things about a church family? Or even a family family? That God doesn't intend us to walk through these things alone? I'm glad the Henrys are back here. Danita's still recovering from some heart surgery she had, but Larry's there in the back corner. Live streamers can't see them. They're hiding under the camera right back there. Larry and I went backpacking in August. Was that August, Larry? I think it was. Yeah, Larry had been dreaming about this trip up to the Tetons uh, to do a 20-mile backpacking trip. For those of you who've never done that, it's kind of long. Um, <laughs> and uh, Larry's got an extensive military experience. He's a great leader, and uh, God has done some neat things through his life. Um, he'll never brag and tell you stories, but if you ever want to hear stories, just hang out with him. Take him to lunch or spend some time with him. And I feel like I grow and learn as a leader every time we get to be together. And uh, so he was telling me this. So we were sitting right back here. And he goes, yeah, I want to do this trip, but my wife says I can't go alone. So then I'm, I'm an idiot. I was like, I'll go with you. Okay. Um, I've never backpacked. I mean, I, I have a backpack, like, 
like Tim has a backpack, but this is different. <laughs> and he goes, you will? I said, sure. Why do you want to do it? And he told me when, and then I looked at the calendar, and there was something that worked out, and I dumbly said yes. And I, I kid you not, Larry, Larry will vouch for this. The first time I put on the, the pack was in the parking lot after we unloaded the truck to the trailhead. And I was like, wow, whoa, that thing's heavy. <laughs> I got some weight back here. I got some weight up here. Maybe they balance each other out. That's good. And uh, like all the good hikes around here, they all go which direction to begin? Up, always. Thankfully, what goes up must come down, but it went up and up and up. But you know what was special about that experience? We did it together. And Larry patiently prodded and helped and gave advice. We made a deal. He would take the gear if I took the food. And that was perfect because the food gets lighter as you go because you eat it. (laughs) The gear never gets lighter. But that was his problem, not mine. (laughs) Really, I was his problem. (laughs) But we journeyed together about seven miles uphill that first day, about 3,000 vertical, something like that. And that night we got to camp at 9,500 feet in the Tetons. Looking back down Paintbrush Canyon, it was breathtaking. We did it together. Sometimes we think that our testing is just us. (coughs) God's never calling you to walk through it alone. It's something that I'm learning as we walk through this situation with the Brooks. Now, I don't feel it like the Brooks feel it. It's their life. But every time I get an update from Danny, I carry part of that weight. I feel it, and we pray, and we, we continue to seek the Lord. Don't believe the lie that you're going through your testing alone. And, and let me help you. The worst thing we can do in testing is hide in a corner. Now, you don't need to broadcast it to the world. We don't need a Facebook announcement or Instagram or wherever you want to announce it. But don't go it alone. Abraham grabs Isaac, grabs these two guys, unnamed, and they go together. And I guarantee you, if Sarah knew, there was a mom who was going too, wasn't she? She might not have been on the journey, but she was on the journey. Probably a good thing Abraham didn't have a cell phone. (laughs) Let others pray with you. Lean into relationships. Go together through hard things by faith. And then God provides. Look at verse 7. Isaac said to his father Abraham, they they reached the place. My father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold. He's figuring it out. We would guess Isaac is probably a teenager here. He's old enough to help with things and and he's recognizing what's going on. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Notice this, faith believes God will provide. Faith believes God will provide. Listen to Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he had received, who had received the promises. Uh, And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, this is the verse we looked at earlier, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And look at what's going on in Abraham's head. He considered 
that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. And then I love the little author's note here. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. One, one commentator said, Abraham actually received Isaac back from the dead twice. From a wife whose womb was dead and from an altar where he was pretty much dead. Faith believes God will provide, but notice in verses 9 and 10, faith proceeds while it waits for God to provide. Faith doesn't go, man, this situation's really hard. Um, hopefully it's all going to work out. Maybe. Help? Anybody? What does Abraham do? He goes forward. He takes the steps. He brings the suffer the sacrifice. He builds the altar. And the story tells in verse 9 and 10, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. By the way, he's still worshiping. As he wanders, he's still worshiping. And he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son. We have no words or interaction there, but you can fill in the blanks. And he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son, thinking what? God will raise him up. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Look, he says the same thing he said in verse one. Here I am. Wouldn't it be great if that was always our response when God said something to us? Here I am. Hey, it's Matt. What do you want me to do? I'm doing what you told me to do. I walked it all the way out. Here I am. Faith believes God will provide. It proceeds while it waits for him to provide. And God intervenes when it's time for him to provide. Okay, take two. God intervenes when it's time for him to provide. Okay, thank you. I'm just counting on Josh. Have you seen this in your life? Have you? As you've walked with God, have you seen him show up? God intervenes. God is never early and he's never late. He usually feels late to us, but he's never late. He always shows up with just the right amount, never too much, always enough. Verse 12, here's the heart of God. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. What a day. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Anybody know what that name for God is? Jehovah Jireh. Hasn't that name become precious? God will provide. And it's no shock that Abraham said in verse 8, God will provide. Back to verse 14. As it is said to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. You say, Matt, you don't know how hard my situation is right now. You're right. I don't. You don't know the things that I'm feeling. You don't know the need that we have. I mean, guys, if I could tell you the gospel hope stories this week, you would be like, what? See, here's the problem with church, okay? I'll help you. 
People come to church and they look around and think everybody else has got it all together. Okay? They see the musicians up here, right? And they're all like dressed all right and they're singing and they look like they know the words even though you don't know the words or the tune. Like, well, they know what they're doing and everyone around me seems like they know what they're doing. And have you seen this family? Their children obey. They're dressed, they're on time. And we get into this delusion that everybody else in this room has it all together. And that is completely untrue. Because I could take you around this room. And I don't know all of you. There are lots of you I don't know. I met some people for the first time this morning. It's awesome. But guess what? Everybody, if you know Jesus, everybody's going through hard things. Everybody experiences tests. And sometimes they're little and they build up. Sometimes they're in the same area. Sometimes they're massive. Sometimes they're public. Sometimes they're private. But this is not a room of people who have it figured out. Can I help you with that? That was point one. Don't worry about figuring it out. This is a room of people who hurt and struggle and fail and have frustrations. And some of them are decades long. And you know what this room is? We should be doing together. We should just keep running to Jesus together. We should keep running to God's word. We should keep walking forward by faith until God shows up. You say, but I wish they had their life. You just don't know it. I say to people all the time, you think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. You just don't know where the dog poop is. (laughs) You can see it in your lawn. You hop that fence, you'll step in it someplace else. But if you know Jesus and he's your savior, you have a God who will provide. You say, I, I, need, I need emotional help today. God's good at that. I need comfort. Say, I need a job. I need provision. I need help in a relationship that's broken. Keep running to God. You get in trouble when you quit that and you try to do it all alone. God always provides. And this is the observation here. In times of testing, God shows up in ways we couldn't have imagined and will never forget. Ways that show that he's the provider, not me and you. Ways that show that he has the plan and ours is pretty crummy. The best laid plans. Ways that show that he's something that none of us could ever be, none of our spouses could ever be, none of our parents could ever be, none of our kids could ever be. God will provide. And guess what? It's a perfect track record every time. Do you know this was the first situation like this that we know of that Isaac had ever walked through? Abraham and Sarah had had to live by faith a lot. But guess what just happened? A dad and his boy, arm in arm, walked a really hard road and put their lives on the line and banked it all on God and what he had said. And God showed up. I want to have those moments with my son, my only son, whom I love. But we don't want the test, do we? God pushes us. He challenges us. He wounds us even on purpose. No accident. And I don't know how you can miss this incredible connection, can you, in these verses? That here is a father with his only son who's going to offer him up, and what does God do? God provides the sacrifice. But one day, God himself would give his only son 
And when Jesus cried out in the garden, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what God would do? God wouldn't send a ram. His son would go all the way to the cross and be the sacrifice for us that we could never be for ourselves. If you have any doubt that God will intervene, that God will provide, that God will carry you through the situation, that God will grow your faith and bring himself glory, we just have to look at a cross. John 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if you know Jesus today, even if God never relieves your earthly suffering, he has done the thing that you most need. He has offered his only son so your sins can be forgiven. You can have eternal life and a relationship with him that is unfazed by the circumstances of this life. In Romans 8, a verse we love around here reminds us that the one who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the God who provides. Here is his plan at work. You say, Pastor Matt, life is pretty smooth right now. There's a lot of things to be thankful for and honestly, not a lot of things that are very hard. Praise God, that's great. Don't, don't lose God in the blessings. What did God say when Abraham gave up Isaac? He said, now I know you fear me. You know what he was saying? Now I know that that good thing I've given you hasn't become something that you love more than me. Be careful about that. There's a word that pops up twice in 1 Peter chapter 1, and with this we'll close. It's a word I've been thinking about a lot this week. It's the word precious. I don't know what that idea that word brings to your mind. There's a movie that came out somewhat recently that had a main character named Precious. So if you Google Precious, you'll get a lot of that. Maybe you think of Gollum. See, I knew it! My Precious, I can't even do it. I probably could with it. Ah. You're like, I am leaving. That's creepy. First <laughs> Peter chapter one says there are two things that are precious. I'll start with the second one. Chapter one, verses 18 and 19 says that we haven't been redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold received from traditions and all. There's no magic potions in the Christian world, but we were saved by what? The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. Can I ask you this morning, is Jesus precious to you? Have you come to put your faith in him and realized he was the sacrifice you could never be? That the only son died because God the Father loves you and wants you to have a relationship with him? Is it precious? You know, the other thing that First Peter 1 says is precious is what we read at the beginning. The trying of our faith is precious. The delays that God sends, the pain that he brings, the suffering that we have, the separation we experience, it's precious. Romans 4 says that Abraham was a man who grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Don't you want that to be the song of your life? That through the things that were really hard, God grew my faith. I was a different person as I walked through those things with him. And he showed up in ways that told other people that person's God is real. That person's God does stuff that blows the human mind. Jehovah Jireh. Let's pray. God, we 
bow humbly before you right now because we acknowledge that what you have told us about Abraham is not some sort of fairy tale. It's real life. You do put us to the test. You do try us in unimaginable ways sometimes. But you don't cease to be good. You don't cease to be wise. You don't cease to love us. You actually do it because you love us and you are wise and you are good. We pray that you might grow us. Would have been easy for Abraham to become content at this point in his life. But you wouldn't leave him there and you won't leave us there. And God, it is our prayer that through our little lives, our brief lives, our weak and small lives, you would get glory. People would be blown away by your greatness and your provision. God, take us from where we are to where you want us to be and give us the heart with Abraham that says, here I am, Lord, whatever you want. It's in your only son's name, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, we pray. Amen.